Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of Gentleman's World back here on Anchor.fm. Um, there's a lot happening. Again, it doesn't seem to end. I've been working for hours on the various podcast changes. I doesn't feel like I'm going to be near done um, as I expected to be. However, I'm still kind of on track for many of the changes. Of course, the vast majority of the changes do not affect Gentleman's World at this point. Gentleman's World's where I need it to be as far as the branding, the site, everything is updated, everything's doing what I need to do. Now it's kind of fine-tuning what I've done. So before we get into our guest today, which I do have my guest audio is going to be added to the episode here today, I have a couple of points I want to cover real quick, just to get them out of the way. Top of the line, uh, I mentioned about the branding changes and the everything's happening with CTR. CTR, of course, is our new organizational umbrella. So the CTR brand you're going to see, and slowly over time, it's going to replace everything that you see in the imagery. Um, I've done most of it. I still got a few to catch up on and then some external podcast platforms, but CTR is the parent. CTR is the overarching brand. Going forward, that will be the case. CTR by itself doesn't mean anything. It depends on what podcast you're on. In the case of Gentleman's World, that's Casual Talk Radio. And, of course, the site is casualtalkradio.net. People that have been subscribed for a while, you will recall that I was using cryptotalkradio.net. That site will still navigate you to the main page for basic cryptonomics from where you can get to Gentleman's World. But casualtalkradio.net is now the official site for Gentleman's World going forward. So that's all done. That site's ready up and live i have to work on some of the widget stuff but that's not urgent but i have everything set the way i want it including the form for anybody that we're going to have on guests or guests on the show which we are continuing to screen i have of course my guest today that's going to audio is going to splice in and then i have another recording that's going to happen thursday this week which that one will air probably monday next week if that one goes forward correctly unfortunately with all the different things happening Outside of the podcast, I have to kind of play the timing very, very tight because I'm not sure what's going to happen between now and the end of March. I'm pretty much good to go uh, mentally through the, I'd say about mid-April, mentally. I'm kind of putting my own pressure on myself with some of these dates, but mid-April is kind of my target to have something figured out with the situation and the podcast and everything else. So... Depending on what that looks like, my scheduling is going to get a little bit shaky for a couple days. Once I can get any of these to sign a deal and get back to me, then I'll be good to go to kind of go to the next level. So as it stands right now, everything's moving forward. I've got a little bit more confidence, a little bit more breathing room. I am going to have to unfortunately backtrack on a couple of things I wanted to do because I didn't get the calls I wanted last week. I got one, but I didn't get all of them that I needed. So that's going to change some gears. And so I'm focused on that, getting that done, but I'm also working the podcast changes and the brand and everything's changed with the brand and, and everything, but I still have more work to do mostly around uh, boxing. So I won't bore you with the details here. It's not relevant. Suffice to say that there are going to be a lot of exciting things coming. If I can get all this stuff sorted and fixed, remember there's a lot here. Gentlemen's world's been around since October of last year. So there was a lot put in place that I kind of had to tap dance to get in because of my own self-imposed urgency. 
Now that it's in, now I have to refine it, get it to that precision I want. From a presentation perspective, it'll make it easier for me to then introduce the podcast from the newer, greater things I have on the horizon planned for all three podcasts in the in the situation. So that's all happening behind the scenes, and you may have seen things change like the cover artwork uh, if you're in your podcast application of choice. And by the way, if you're on Android, we will now recommend Antenna Pod probably more than any other one. It seems like the only one that is consistently kept up to date the way we wanted. We will not recommend Podcast Guru because it does not seem to keep things in check. So this would only affect you if you are using an application on your device, whichever that's a tablet or a phone. We're on Android. We are recommending AntennaPod if you use that type of application. If you're using Spotify, the app, or you're using iTunes, Apple Podcasts, if you're using, uh, if you're just going to Google Podcasts or you're going straight to Anchor.fm, none of this applies to you. You're getting the latest, greatest, up-to-date information possible. The other update I'll mention is around our subscriptions. I talked about how we needed to get back to where you can subscribe so you can get updates, alerts, and notifications. I have that all built. There's one piece that has to be figured out. I've got a message out to the company to get it sorted. What it's looking like today, and I'm subject to change, but today looks like that's not going to be Substack after all. I had somebody who subscribed through Substack, and if they're listening, and I hope they were, they got my email, if they're listening, yes, Substack is still there, but it's not used for the podcast because it moved to Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm does not offer me the same free subscription feature like I'd like to have. Every subscription on Anchor.fm, if I were to turn it on, and I didn't, but if I were, it would charge you at least a dollar per month, and I'm not sure that people would be okay with that. And that's just to get the email notifications of new episodes. So what I'm building, this is for now everybody, is I'm building a different way where you'll be able to subscribe just to get notified when there's a new episode. If you're using an app on your phone, you can use that app and it'll give you a notification. It comes up as a prompt on the device every time the podcast episode is published. That's what I would recommend just if all you care about is getting notified when there's a new episode. However, the subscription is still recommended secondarily to it because it'll allow you to get updates directly from me when there's something else that's not necessarily an episode that I need to make you aware of. For example, if we needed to make a change or we needed to amend or we needed to provide supplemental information, something where we need to bring it to your attention, this subscription model is going to be the way to do that once they figure out this last piece. And just to be clear, I don't have to do this last piece. I could launch it now. It's actually in testing. But I want it to be perfect in because of the way Substacks worked. I want it to work pretty much identical to that. So until I, until I can confirm yay or nay that I can do that, I'm not going to have that available for you, and I have to wait on them to get back to me. So that's another thing that's in flight that's going to take a little bit of time, figure out the kinks, and get it all worked out, and then I'll have that launched. And then the way that'll work is you'll go to casualtalkradio.net. On the form, on the page, there's going to be a form where you can subscribe for these updates. You'll enter your name and your email address and probably your country because I'd like to know where people are coming from that are interested in the updates. After that, what will happen is we record casual talk radio every Monday and Wednesday is when we release. I should say not record release every Monday and Wednesday in the afternoon, our time as in United States, 
in the afternoon, then you'll get the notification of the new podcast episode. If it turns out that we see that there's a significant number of folks that are coming from overseas, which today, according to the data, is not the case, then I would change the release date for that notification because I want to make sure people overseas receive that notification just as timely as those who are domestic. So I'm going to have to play that by ear. Suffice it to say, my goal is to get it to where you get one message. It's basically like a newsletter kind of email every Monday and every Wednesday in the afternoon-ish time with some flex depending on where you're coming from. And that will just tell you when there's a new episode. It'll also, if there's some out-of-cycle information I need to share with you, it'll be the way that I provide that information to you so that you're always in the loop about what's going on with the podcast. I also have to balance cost because, again, I don't charge for the podcast today. So, and I don't plan to charge for the main podcast at any point. There will be the premium subscription option that's a value-add service, and I've got some really good ideas on what I want that to be. I'm not going to share those yet because I want to figure out the mechanics of this first, one problem at a time. Once that's launched, that opens up a lot more doors for me to provide more content, more valuable content to you. That's also in the works. The last part I'll call out is just a quick update because I've done dedicated episodes around it. But just a quick update, the relocation is still mentally planned. However, I have to time it just right. I'm waiting on the calls that I mentioned earlier to come in first. Let's get some confidence that, yes, what you're talking about is going to work. Once I get at least some affirmation that we're going to move forward, then I would go ahead with the move. I have not yet decided where I'm going to go. That's still an open question. Because it needs to be a place that ideally I don't have to pick up and move again. It's a painful process to move, especially as I get older. It's harder to do it. I had a very challenging issue when I just needed to load some stuff in storage. And that tells me that my days of doing this pick up and move are long since past. So whichever place I can find has to check all the boxes kind of fresh out of the gate. And that's hard now because of the current administration and the damage they've done to our modern society to the point where Every state's doing something different. Now I got to research all of them, minus Hawaii probably, but I got to research all of the the continental states, figure out what I want to do. I did actually consider leaving to go to a different country. The challenge with that is, of course, the borders are have they have their issues, and I no longer have my Nexus card, so I'd have to go through that process again. And I'm not really a fan of doing that. Also, there's a lot I would have to figure out in terms of the the money move part of that type of disruption. So I don't know that I don't know that I can do that yet. But yes, maybe someday I might follow Tina Turner and leave the United States, but I have not decided that. It's just something that's been on my mind. And then what does that take? How painful would that be? Because if you haven't heard a plane just crashed up China China Airlines. So that all automatically tells me wherever I go needs to be connected to the continental United States for now so that I could get to a place where I can be more comfortable and feel a little bit more free in my individual person to do what I want to do. So all of that's kind of up in the air as well that I'm thinking of, at least when I say up in the air, thinking of. So the move, the podcast, and of course there's three of them, branding, figuring all that out. And then of course my individual, you know, side things, cryptocurrency and investments and you know, contracting work and everything else. There's a lot that I'm trying to kind of get some sanity around to position to kind of come out healthier in 2022. Unfortunately, because of a lot of external factors beyond my control, it's harder than it really should be. 
So I'm waiting this week to see if I get the calls that I want. And if I do, then I can start committing to the move. And if I can get the move done, everything else will start looking a little bit more positive overall. I just need to get out of Nevada. Nevada's not going to work, especially because now we're getting the hot season finally here. So as the temperature goes up, of course, breathing gets to be an issue. Uh, dry air gets to be an issue. And then energy bills because of the air conditioning gets to be an issue. So that's another consideration for where I go is I need to make sure that it's got some logical weather. I'm not a fan of superheated weather. I'm not a fan of super frigid weather. I can tolerate super frigid weather, but I'm not a fan of it. I cannot tolerate super hot weather. And I know there are some people that like it, but I think that it affects breathing. I think it affects your general state of well-being. But I also have to play the balance with places where there, you know, you're, you're compensated well for the work you do, where you're allowed to be free. You know, if you want to have a lawn, you can have a lawn. They're not going to tell you to rip your lawn out. They're not going to try to force stuff in your arm against your will. That's the key. They're not going to, it's about freedom of choice and you can kind of live your life and do your thing as long as you pay your taxes and don't bother anybody. That's kind of where I want to be. So that's where I'm trying to look and see how I can find such a place so that the podcast can thrive because the more comfortable I am, the more laid back it can be, the more relaxed my environment, the more effective I can be for the podcast. So now let me go ahead and get into our guest for today. My guest today was another refreshing guest. Uh, We had a very enlightening conversation. I learned a lot and I was inspired by chatting with her. Uh, Her name is Jennifer Peavy. Uh, And the interesting thing with uh, Jennifer Peavy is she comes from a background in engineering and then she took what her experience was going through the learning path it took to get the credentials necessary in the work that she was doing. She took that and realized that there was more for her and parlayed it into what she now does. She is a published author, her book, natural reflectors I read. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't read any other book in your entire life, I strongly recommend you check that book out. It is available on Amazon and other major uh, book publishing platforms check that one out because she she has a lot of compelling arguments to be made about how people perceive their own pressure right and how you create your own self-pressure and how you kind of stress yourself out and taking the moment to kind of back back off and realize that the others that you see that are kind of pushing and pushing and kind of the pressure that we talked about that society imposes upon us to do more and work harder and constantly that grind is what creates that stress that holds us back. And if you can realign it and think of it kind of as a reflection of what you want to do and what you need to do to adjust and adapt to what's in front of you, you're still able to achieve your goals and get to where you want to go moving forward. She loves the authenticity of people. She loves experiences. She gets right down to the essence, creating tangible experiences so everybody can learn the aspects of a problem, regardless of your background, regardless of your biases, cultivating skills, forcing you to be curious, to learn new things and connect with others in an authentic way rather than simply trying to copy what somebody else is doing. But it doesn't stop there. She has a journey that you want to hear. I encourage you to listen as she tells the stories that got her to this point and got her to realize why she went through what she went through. And she has things that she would have loved to have thought a little bit differently, but at no point does she regret the journey and realize it was necessary part of 
realizing what you wanted to do as opposed to what you were kind of conditioned to do from an early age. And then, of course, the challenges when you are a woman and you're having to deal with the pressure of, you know, you need to achieve and you need to do and you need to be and you need to go this route and instead creating her own path. And she's been very successful doing it. She is Miss Jennifer Peavy. I'm and so glad to be here. Your story overall, because I've listened to the various recordings that you've done on other shows. Mm-hmm. I read your book um, and you've talked about a lot of different things. And I'm very interested because I think there's overlaps, being honest with you, transparent. I think there's overlaps in your journey and my journey. And I want to hear from somebody else that's gone through it. Sure. That's helping for me, but I also think it helps our audience. And my audiences are the age demographic is roughly within our age range. So I think that a lot of people will resonate with what we're talking about. Yeah. So you're an exciting guest to have similar to the very other guests that I've had. And I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today for sure. Well, thank you. I, I am very excited. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to connect with people who've been on a similar journey. Um, I'm going through a podcast tour, you know, because of the book and it has been just fabulous. You know, your friends are supportive and they were there for me, but now it's over, you know, for my friends. And so it's really nice to get out on these podcasts and talk to people who want to engage in the conversation. Cause that's what I was hoping would come out of all of this. Yes, absolutely. And forgive me, but I have to start with the story because you've told it a couple of times okay. and then I have a story in return. But first, if you would regale me, please. Sure. You told a story about staying busy being busy and you told a story about a family member and their desire just to basically make sure the house is constantly kept immaculate in case people come by. Can you tell that story for everybody listening? Sure. Um, So part of my journey um, through the pandemic is, you know, dealing with my own baggage or my own emotional state because there were a lot of things that had a standard for me. Part of it was perfection. Part of it was I must be employed because I went into the pandemic unemployed. And so I was kind of panicking through that. So I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. Right. And so I started searching for, you know, where did this come from and how can I deal with it? And one of the things that has come out of it, and it was kind of a separate thing, is I uh, gifted my parents the gift of, of creating a book of stories. And so I was able to hear about my mother's upbringing with her mother. Mm. And it turns out the story you're referring to is um, my grandfather had a number of heart problems and they started in his thirties. And so somewhere in his mid thirties and his forties, he actually was asked to retire because he was a salesman and the company was scared that he was going to actually have a heart attack while he was on the job. Mm. But during that in-between time where he was having these episodes and before they, they had him retire, My grandmother was very scared that she was going to have to bring in medical personnel, particularly in the middle of the night or while he was traveling and that they would see the house not perfect. Mm -hmm. And so literally every single night before she went to bed, she would clean the house and straighten everything up. Another thing that she would do is actually iron the sheets. So if he was in bed when he had this heart attack and the medical personnel came, they would see that the sheets were perfect. She would iron his underwear so that when he was traveling, that if anybody went through his things, they would see this level of perfection. Now, my mother was nine years old when she was seeing a lot of this. And and it was interesting. The question for the story for my mother was, what was your mother like as a child? And this is the story she told. (laughs) 
which I found fascinating um, that that was part of it. But it also explained a lot about the level of perfection that I was also brought up with. And which is why when I was going through the pandemic and saying, you must do this, you must do that. There is this level of, of um, excellence or perfection that I, I was imposing upon myself. And so I know I spent a great deal of time having to let go. And I'm still struggling with that. These layers of, of how do you put things forward and, and, and learning what good enough is and saying, right. you know, really, this, this is fine. And then that balance of stress and doing a good job. And one of the things I've been doing is doing less, doing less very well, not mm -hmm. doing it perfect but doing less very well so that I enjoy it rather than worrying about um, that level of perfection. Right. There's two parts to why I said there's overlap there. Mm -hmm. One is recent. One is in the distant past. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid and I want to say must've been less than 11, but I don't know the exact age. Right. First time I went to visit my grandmother on my mother's side, mm -hmm. she has, they, they built their house, brick house. It's in the, it's in the East. They built it when they uh, got out of the, the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing this house and mind you, and for those listening, West Coast, you're talking about uh, stucco predominantly in how homes are built. In the yep. Northwest, you're talking about siding. In the yep. East and some of the Midwest, brick could be a thing, siding could be a thing. So there's different constructions for how homes are built. And so this is my first time seeing a house made of brick. Right. And I remember that uh, she picked me up. My grandmother picked me up from the airport. She's driving a, I think it's a Buick Century. Picks me up from the airport. I'm an unaccompanied minor, which is a new. And of course, at this time, we're not having TSA grope you or any of this. This is a different right. time. So I have a huge bag. This is before roller wheels. You had to carry it. And I'm having to carry this bag that must weigh as much as I weigh. Right. Get to the home. I see this, what looks to me like this majestic one-story brick house. The lawn's immaculate. The driveway's perfectly clean. There's nothing going on in the streets. Go in and there's you, there's a hallway to the left, hallway to the right. Mm -hmm. On the right, there's a double French door with glass. Mm -hmm. And it was locked. These doors are locked. And you can look in and she has, it's a red carpet, which didn't make sense to me at the time. But she has all these little ceramic things lined up in perfect order on a, on a shelf. Right. All these like elegant uh, furniture pieces, chairs, sofa, the plastic covering on the sofa. And yeah. we're told you will not go in this room right? ever. You won't go in there. But here's why I got confused. And mind you, I'm still a kid at this point, but I'm, right. I have the wherewithal to realize something doesn't make sense. From the kitchen, you can go in through one of the swinging doors and yeah. the dining room is directly connected to this room. Yep. And we were told because of formality, you will always eat food in the dining room. You right. don't eat in the living room. You don't eat in the kitchen. You eat in this room. So we're in the room because we have to eat, but yet right. we're told not to be in this room. And right. I remember asking a question, why is it set this way? And she said, this, everything that's set here is memories. It's, it's designed for memories. It's designed for me to remember. And if you go in there, you're distorting the memory somewhat. Now, okay. of course, I didn't understand what she meant. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's getting close to bedtime. So now you go down the left hallway and the first room on the left, there are two twin beds. Mm -hmm. And again, remember that time we're talking a very long time ago, we're talking the shag carpet, very ugly shag carpet. Everything's yep. kind of yellow and orange and for the color scheme. Yep. 
immaculate covers wrapped over the bed, immaculate pillows, perfectly fluffed. Everything is perfect. You go down the hallway further to the left. There's another room. It's got a queen bed. It's huge, immaculate covers. Everything's all nice and neat and their master. Everything's immaculate, nice and neat. And I never took the time to think about why that might be, why everything was so tidy and neat. But your story caused me to remember you know, her house was awful tidy and clean. And perhaps it's a generational, just a generational norm or something that they just kind of embraced or Mm -hmm. inherited. Um, That was, that was the distant past memory from that story. Mm -hmm. The present memory is I was, because I saw that part of your journey was being in the workforce and doing, just kind of doing, right? Being expected and kind of creating that self-expectation. You have yep. a number of degrees, you did engineering, and it's always an expectation on yourself to some yep. degree to just yep. do more and more. And I want to dig into that Sure. to piggyback off my next story, which was okay. I'm a consultant. And one thing I struggle with is consultants are being treated like employees in that right. we're not having the freedoms we should have. Right. And I, there was somebody who told a story on LinkedIn and he said, you know, I, I had a candidate and we offered him everything he wanted and he was perfect. And that was the buzzword. Perfect. Yeah. He had every, he was everything we wanted. We gave him everything. We offered him everything. We were going to pay him upfront money and all this. And then apparently the applicant called the guy and said, well, I was just using your bid in order to get this other job over here. Yeah. And he's frustrated because he doesn't understand why candidates are like this. And I'm telling him, Part of the problem is you're settling, you're, you're going after perfect. Why can't right. you go after good enough? Right. Why can't you find somebody that has the potential to be something Right. and develop them to be something because that person being perfect, they know they've got you Yes. where they can get what they want from somebody else. Even yep. if you gave them everything, somebody else gives them more and it becomes this rat race of yep. everybody's against each other. When you were getting into engineering, this is where I was going with that story. When Mm -hmm. you were getting into it, was it a long-term passion that you wanted to do it or was it just kind of happenstance that you got into it? Well, and it's interesting to say that because part of my looking back was also questioning my choices in Mm. the past. And one of them was questioning engineering. And I can look back and know my father was an engineer. My mother was a math teacher. So it made perfect sense that I was in some sort of STEM career. Yeah. And I was good at math and science. I mean, most of the time with the gifted programs going through school, I emphasized more the math and science than I did the English and the history. Um, It wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was just easier. The math and science was easy for me. I ended up going, I wanted to go into biomedical. I wanted to to design artificial organs. And part Mm. of that, uh, looking back, was actually I wanted to have an impact. And I felt like that would be something. If I was doing medical work, that has to be enormously important work type of thing. Right. And at the time it was not a thing. There, there were artificial organs, but there was not biomedical engineering. So I went into chemical engineering thinking I'll focus on materials. Hmm. At the dirt, while I was in school, that major became a thing. And so now I was competing against biomedical engineers as a chemical engineer and it just didn't work out. And hmm. so I was finding a way, another way. But I can also tell you one reason I chose engineering was about the time I was in high school, I was seeing a lot of women who were without degrees, who were suddenly finding themselves divorced. And they had no ability to take care of themselves besides their alimony, if they had alimony. Right. 
And I remember thinking at the time, that is not going to happen to me. <laughs> and so there were a lot of choices I made based on that sense of security. Yeah. You know, the irony of it was the year I graduated high school was when um, it, it was the end of the 80s and it was a big time that companies started getting very efficient. I don't know if something happened in the MBA programs, but suddenly there were all these layoffs. Yeah. And it became a thing, it became a huge thing. And all of a sudden engineering was not this secure career that you had 40 years into it. Yeah. And I was told in college, you're going to change every five years and all this. So no, it was not a passion. It was a okay fit. Mm. It was, you can do this. And that did become an attitude of mine for most of my life was you're capable of doing it. I, I even had somebody the other day tell me um, we were, uh, I was in this um, uh, networking meeting and one of the prompts was to talk about what did you learn about what's happening? <clears throat> and I am, I'm an introvert and I love having discussions like this one-on-one, -on -one, but a bunch of people in the room is not necessarily a great thing for me. I hate chit chat, <laughs> awful at it. And I hate it. And this, and I mentioned that to the person that I was paired up with during this networking time. And he said, but you're really good at it. And I go, but I hate it. Right. And I had heard that a number of times through the career, but you're good at it. And I'm like, but I hate it. Right. <laughs> so, um, so no, I, I look back and yes, I'm glad for the degree. It has opened up certain doors for me, but I'm not certain that's what you know, if I had to do it all over again, I don't think that's what I would have done. Yeah. The introversion is something I also resonate with because I've told mm -hmm. people multiple times that don't believe me that I'm right. as introverted as you're going to get, but I know how to switch it on. Right. And good introverts know how to switch it on when they have to, but it goes yep. to the point you said you're good at it. Well, yep. is it that I'm good at that interaction or am I simply good at convincing you that I'm here? Right. Because well, as introverts, we're not really there. We're, we're mentally somewhere else when there's more than, you know, as a right. group or they're commingling and they're chatting and they're laughing and all this. And for us, it feels like din, like it's just noise. And yeah. we need to focus. We need to hear, listen, process, think. Yep. You talked about reflection, actually. And it guides what we do. And yep. I think it's hard for other people. I would argue that most of the people that go to those functions, are truly introverts that haven't realized they're just switched on. Mm -hmm. And so they'll tell, mm -hmm. they'll tell themselves they're extroverts when truly they're not, they've switched on because I think everybody appreciates this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm perhaps being naive because I, we're at a different time now. Right. Um, but I, you tell that story and yes, that is similar to the way I feel in those functions. I can switch on. I've presented in front of thousands of people with no right. problem. I don't need right. to picture them naked. I don't need to do any yep. of this. It's just, yep. I know how to switch on. Yep. I might go in the back and be trembling, yep. but I can switch on and switch off. So yes, I resonate that as well with you talked about the kind of, you know, if you had to do over again and perhaps mm -hmm. choosing a different path when you're, when you were in doing actual, the work, doing the engineering work, and you talked about at the past, it's kind of things are kind of dying down. There's layoffs. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of that was symptomatic and I wasn't adult at this point, but I think a lot of that was symptomatic of the 
misunderstanding of where we needed to go as a society. I, I think yeah. we lost sight of where we needed to go and we were trying to heavily push liberal. We were trying to heavily push uh, medical. We were trying to heavily mm-hmm. push a lot of these other ones because it's what we had done just after the war. And so we expected, right. you know, we need to keep this momentum instead of we were just fighting the right. inevitable of technology and STEM. Right. When you're in it now doing the work day to day and you're mm-hmm. just kind of, you're basically on the grind as you, I'm paraphrasing. Sure. Um, what's your feelings in satisfaction, personal satisfaction, meaning by which I mean, obviously there's compensation plays a factor. Yep. There's uh, being able to build a home or create a home. And there's all these things that are, that are byproducts of doing it. But are you personally satisfied with the work in general as you're doing it? At that time, no, but I would distract myself. Mm. So um, I am a bit of an info junkie Mm. and I love to learn. And so if there was something new, so when I started, we were using CAD and in college, it was still, you had some drafting boards and some computer-based but when I started, there was all this computer-based. Well, somewhere halfway between that, we got to 3D CAD. Yeah. And little things like that, that newness allowed me to get very excited and really dive into this new thing. Um, there was at one point I was uh, using a lot of math within those models and trying to th- make things more efficient for everybody else. So that literally the program, they would enter certain numbers and the program would spit out this drawing so they didn't have to draw things from scratch. And you know, that would last for about a year and a half. And I, I did find I had a cycle about every two years was, a, or I say I have a two year attention span, <laughs> but I needed a certain amount of change and I could be excited the first year because everything was new. The second year was, okay, now I've mastered this, this new thing, the new learning. And now how can I take that to the next level? What can I do and apply it with it? Right. The third year I might stick with it but it required my transitioning to somebody else so I could pick up something new. And Mm -hmm. it might be, it might still be within that realm of CAD or whatever it was, but it it needed to be a new something about that. There were times where I was in a space, I was trying to have children and things like that, where I needed to stick where I was. It, It was, I couldn't just up and leave and have a big change like that. So I needed to stay where I was. And I realized if I created change in my life, I could get a certain amount of happiness. And so there'd be little things like I took on a time management system. Do you remember Franklin Covey when it first came out? Mm-hmm. And we had the day planner. So, oh, I got into yeah. that for a while. Um, but two years later, I was done with it. Um, <laughs> the one I would go back to is I would rearrange my office because it was the one thing that was all about me. Mm. You know, where everything sat and then therefore the lighting was different. The sounds were different, even though it was a very small space. As I would walk through the door every morning, there would be this little child in me going, oh, look, you know, it's like Christmas morning. Something new was there yeah. for a little while. And that would sustain me for a bit. But it was no, but it was not satisfying. What mm. what I have discovered, at least in the last two or three years, Uh, part of the pandemic was I said, I don't know what I'm going to offer. So I'm going to try a bunch of different things and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And what I've determined is I really need a portfolio of things. Yes, there are some things that I don't get a whole lot of satisfaction from, but hey, they make money and it feeds me or it pays the mortgage. 
But then I had these other things. And I think the millennials have really, you know, the gig economy and that type of thing. I found that that's really the way it should have been for me is I should have had these multiple things going on. Some are, you know, consuming more time. Some are more satisfying than others. And, you know, sometimes that, that thing that, that felt heavy, but was paying for bills, sometimes that floats up and becomes satisfying for a while, but I'm not putting all of my emotional energy into one thing. Right. And then that allows me to um, move as I need to move. Right. The uh, redesigning of the office is a funny story there because some people that drives them nuts. It's like, why yeah. can't you just be okay with the steady state? Why can't you just be okay with the way it is? Why do you always have to be, let's say, disruptive? Because that goes to the workplace, right? It's yep. There's an expectation of routine. There's an expectation yes. of sameness and consistency and people get very, I don't want to say triggered because I don't want to use that word here, but they get very set off by when you change what they expect you to do. And I want to spin that over into my next question because I want to go into your book. Okay. Because the story you started with in the book is around the soccer player. And you were telling, you were talking about how people see or they perceive what this person's doing and it creates their own impetus to basically be that or create their own urgency of themselves. Right. And I had a guest on the show, one of my first guests, Dr. Egypt radio, where she talked about rather than being so focused on consumption, basically you're just taking in, try to focus on creation, but do it of your own. You talked about it something mm-hmm. that's mine, something that's me, something that is that I own, I control this. And it's something that I'm vested. I believe yep. I'm emotionally vested in this as opposed to doing something I don't have any passion for. Right. With this analogy, I love it because it is true that at least from what I observe, people seem to be disposed now. And I, I blame social media for this to some degree. Yeah. You see the Kim Kardashian of the world and then everybody has to have an Instagram and they have to do those yep. type of photos and they have to do this. Or you see somebody post that they next to a car or something and everybody's got to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of follow after clothing. Uh, it yeah. got increasingly more difficult for me to shop for clothes because yeah. there's not, despite the anatomic challenges, it's not appropriate for me to wear things that are just skinny and tight yeah. and that so but that's where everybody went we created this push towards that's what we got to do and then that created these jobs of those who are creating these clothes right but then the the fad changed and then we swifted away from it and now those jobs now they're they're like well wait a minute we we were good with what we were doing and now yeah so i agree with you that i think the gig not even just gig but just the idea of individual creativity things that you want to do and you control right is really the right way i think for a lot of people though yep some people just love that security of i'll just go to work and get a check yeah and do what i'm told yep which causes some of the story that you talked about with the soccer player because they see in the workplace that this lady or this guy over here is killing it and they're just knocking out a thousand widgets and i'm doing 10 and i feel like i gotta step up there sure what would be some, what would be some suggestions that you can share to people? Because I would surmise most listen to the show are this, they are in a workplace. There's that pressure you feel yep. and you're, you're constantly trying to figure out, well, how do I balance the pressure I feel yep. versus not 
being strung along, I guess. Yep. I, I think the first thing um, that is important is to shift the mindset to a point of saying, I am making choices here. Because hmm. there are lots of times I'll come across somebody, oh my God, da, 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 and all this is happening. And I'll say, you know, it's a choice. And they'll go, no, it's not. I have to do this. Right. And I'm going to say, let's back up. You can choose to go for the security and go in every day and be told what to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the stress comes when we feel we didn't choose it, that we didn't have that sense of control. Right. Because you may say for this time period, this is what I'm going to do. I have children I need to send through to college. You know, you could see many reasons or I'm getting my retirement together and I didn't do it in my 20s and I now need to hunker down and make X more so that I can make sure I retire or right. I can do whatever it is. There are, there are very good reasons why you may make a certain choice. So I think first is saying it is a choice. But then the second thing, and it was something that, that was really um, eye-opening for me or really brought me to a sense of peace was understanding that the body will never lie to you. Your body will tell you whether you like the choices that you have before you or the options you have before you or the choice that you have made. And I think that also, if you down deep know this is not right and yet you push into something that you know is not right, that is a huge amount of stress. So that might be part of the shift of mindset too, is there are choices and I'm actually causing more stress in my life than anything else is because I am pushing in areas that I am not happy or comfortable with at least that, that was my journey, was being able to say, you know what, I have the power to choose this and I need to listen to myself. Right. And part of it is that engineer side, that logic, I can logic myself into anything. Oh, but Jennifer, you need to do this because you'll get these relationships or you'll do this. But if my gut is telling me no, I need to stop and, and at least say, why? What about this is not working? It may be a particular person, or it might be a particular ethical something about the project. It might be something I feel guilty about what I'm doing. It may have nothing to do with anybody else. But if I can spend the time figuring out what that is, then I can allow the logic to come in and tell me what to do and make plans. So it's, it's a way of integrating both the mind and the body. And that way you can make much better decisions and much higher quality decisions. Um, so that, that allows you not only that combining, but I think that third thing is to intentionally create space to listen. You know, it's like a foreign language. Right. And unlike the soccer player, you know, it might be that we are five years old learning how to play soccer and we're trying to figure out how to connect our foot to the ball and look at the field and, it takes some time before you can get to the point of being an elite person who can immediately hear and immediately react. Right. That's that. And, and when we make choices of pushing because we're watching that elite person, we assume just based on what we see that we know how they got there. But quite honestly, we might be five years old and being very awkward and learning this foreign language. And we need to create space and forgiveness and kindness that allows us to learn that language and then become a, more proficient and then become elite right. at something. 
Right. To that point, you refer to reflection and the Mm -hmm. fact that ultimately in the analogy of the soccer player, Mm -hmm. he's adapting to what's in front of him. Yep. It's not that it's, some people have natural talent, certainly, but he's using his natural skill to adapt to what's in front of what he sees. And that, that in of itself is practiced. It takes time. So you can be as athletic as you want to be, as fast as you want to be, as strong as you want to be. But yep. the skill it takes to do what he's doing yep. is it takes time. Like you said, we have to build that. We have to create that. It starts mm-hmm. with a foundation of some kind. Yep. Some people aren't good at basketball. Yep. Okay. You can play basketball for years and may never be good at it. And that's okay. Yep. But perhaps it's just that you haven't given it enough time and not think it too hard. Realize right. that. It took him a long time to develop to the level he's at, and you shouldn't right. set the expectation on yourself right. that you can be him. Right. Right. Because there's an evolution. Now, with that, because I like that part, the you then go into details around how people, and I, I would agree with you, you mentioned in the book that um, financial stability, financial control, financial independence all plays some part to play in some of this urgency. Right. And one guest I had, Dr. Dr. or Mr. Smith, rather, we were talking about the generational wealth or the loss of generational wealth. And the, it's harder now to build wealth. And it's created an urgency, we think, that people are, they feel compelled to work harder, push harder, right. do right. more, because it's the path to get more money. Right. And I would combine this, and I believe you said you have a master's degree. I do. I want to leverage your knowledge as somebody who who has a master's because I don't. Part of the push to get higher degrees, higher degrees, higher degrees, you you were around. It's like high school diploma, it's good enough, don't worry about it. Right. Then associate's degree, it's good enough, don't worry about it. Then bachelor's is good enough. Now we're kind of in the master's as kind of the preferred. Yep. And there's spend to that. There's money you spend to get that level of credential. Right. And if you went straight to college, fresh out of high school, right. you get done, you spend six years plus to do this and you spend up mm-hmm. to six figures. Yep. You go to the workplace and you hand over and say an application and say, I'm ready to work. Yep. And they say, well, you don't have any experience. Right. And that's because we don't give them the opportunity to build and develop those skills and get better. Right. right. So then these people are saddled with debt. Yep. And now they're believing because they're hearing that the push is to get financial stability. So you got to just take whatever you can get yep. and just work as hard as you can and just keep stressing yep. yourself out. Yep. Meanwhile, and this was the funny part, uh, Mike Rowe, if you've heard of him, uh-huh. Mike Rowe always has said, you know, we have tons of jobs that go unfilled. Right. They don't require college education at all. Yep. They pay very well. Yes. They train you. They don't require yep. a lot of hard work but nobody wants to do them because they're perceived as right something. So where I'm going with this is I think it's all connected. The pressure you describe in the workplace that you impose on yourself because of some of its peer pressure, some of its perceived, you see it, you impose it. Some of it's financial and the stress of finances and inflation right now is contributing and college debt isn't contributing. All of it's contributing. I'd like to just pick your brain as somebody who is higher credential than myself, because I get the sense that we, 
do you remember the old Star Trek episode? If you ever watched the original Star Trek series, uh-huh. they yeah. had the episode where they were going to Eden and they had the hippies. Yes, yes. And and the guy always would say, I reach. Uh-huh. With you, I reach. Uh-huh. I resonate because it feels like you have a similar belief. And that's what I want to make sure I'm not going crazy because you are yep. higher credential than I am. So I, I seriously would like to get your thoughts. Do you feel as though the pressure, the stress is by design, is intentional, by which I mean, do you feel that our society mm-hmm. wants people to be pressured, wants people to be stressed because we correlate it to productivity? I I do see that stress, particularly burnout, is a badge of honor. Mm. That a lot of people want to, want to talk about how stressed they are. I, I have seen particularly in my journey the last two or three years of seeking happiness and peace and slowing down, I've had people distance themselves from me. Mm. And it's mostly, I mean, part of it is because they're busy, but we don't have anything necessarily in common anymore, you know, because part of the conversation would be about, I'm busy. I'm look how busy I am. Right. The, the last position I had, one of the badges of honor was your calendar was 110% full. They were working from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., you know, and they had meetings all the time. And that meant they were important. It wasn't about productivity. It was about busyness. And I do like to differentiate those two. Right. Is that you can be busy and productive, but I think it's because you made an intentional choice on what you were busy about, as opposed to, I just need to be busy. And then therefore I'm, and just hope that everything turns out all right. Um, I do find it I, curious when you're talking about I'm higher credentialed. So the irony of it is the only reason I have a master's is because we went to war and there were right. no jobs. Right. And therefore it was you're unemployed or let's go get a master's degree. And I could, I was just good enough to get in. Um. And then I do have another one now in design that I did recently, like in 2016, I graduated with that one, trying to combine a different flavor and change my career completely. But it was because I already had the bachelor's. Right. What's interesting is when you talk about the students and the student debt, there was a time period I was working in academia directly with students. And I was in a research lab and most of these students are going for doctorates because that's the way that academia has gone now is they just dropped the master's. When I was going through, the master's was about learning how to do research. Yeah. yeah. And then therefore you were prepared to go into choose your topic. And then that faculty did that faculty person didn't have to guide you on how to do research. And now they're doing it all together. And, you know, it all depends upon whether you've got somebody who's willing to teach you while you're doing the project. But these students are getting a doctorate. I I always question them. I'm like, okay, why are you doing this? Because this is a big deal. Like you talk about the amount of debt, the amount of credentialing, the topic tends to narrow you into a niche. Yes. And so I always would sit there and go, okay, explain to me. And I'm, I'm perfectly fine. It's all choices. If this is what they want, it's all good. But They'll tell me one thing, but then they'll come back frustrated later that the MBAs are making more money than them. <laughs> and I'll go, okay, now wait a minute. 
we, we've already said you don't get a doctorate for the money. You get the doctorate right. because you love research or you love contributing to the body of knowledge. You really love that niche and you want right. to do that niche forever. Said so if it's about the money, you should have gone and gotten the MBA, you right. know. <laughs> right. So right. there is a um, expectation that is not playing out to your point of if I get more credentials, I should therefore expect to receive more. Yes. And it, it didn't necessarily play out that way. And I find it interesting right now, particularly with Google, um, with the micro-credentialing, there is an awful lot that people can do and make a ton of money, if it is about the money, with no credentials. Right. So it's, yes, the piece of paper opens doors, particularly with corporate, but with this entire entrepreneurship push and the entire digital age that we're in, it's not always necessary if you know what you want to do and you're willing to be brave enough to not go with the, the norms. Part of the challenge, and you mentioned Google, because the news that flew around LinkedIn was Microsoft, Google, Amazon, we're getting rid of bachelor's degrees. You no longer require a bachelor's degree. Right. And as the cynic that I am at times, yeah. Part of the problem is if you list it in the job description, we consider it required. Yes. So all of them that we've named will still say bachelor's degree, and then they'll put yes. in small print or equivalent experience. Right. But what that's telling the applicant is if you have that piece of paper, they're going to get priority over you. Yes. Agreed. And, and, and I would argue the reason that they're doing that is not because they discredit your experience but because they don't know how to right. quantify the experience compared to what they assume you would have gotten in college. Right. Right. Because to your point of the bachelor's degree program, the only reason I don't have a bachelor's degree today right. is I have so much experience. Right. I could probably teach a doctorate today. Yes. Um, in the older times we would mentor, we would be yes. training. We would be, partnered with somebody who told us how to do it right. Yes. Focused on the needs and more importantly, the soft skills. Right. How to communicate, how to express without using short, you know, like the LOLs and the Ks yes. and all the, you know, people struggle. I've, I had two people working for me, younger folks, yep. and it was hard to get them to communicate in a professional forum. Yes. They're used to text messages and the, and so College doesn't teach you that when you no. get these skills are good. I have a computer information systems degree. It teaches me how to do code. Sure. Yep. But when you go into a company, there's yep. a certain way they want you to write the code. Yep. The ability to adapt to the point of reflection, the yes. ability to see and adapt to those changes is not taught in any college that I've ever been exposed to. Right. I am so, helping with um, uh, strategy for a particular college right now. And they're having that exact conversation yeah. because of micro-credentialing, should they be offering micro-credentialing? But then the ultimate is what is the role of a university in the world of micro-credentialing? Why, why right. would somebody choose a university education? And they go back to kind of what you're saying. A university education is supposed to be well-balanced. It is yes. not a tech education. It is supposed to be giving you someone who understands literature and philosophy along with STEM. It's not one thing or the other. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to teach you how to learn because 
although the micro-credentialing is good today, in five years, it won't be. Right. Because you've learned coding in a particular way, but when AI is doing it with you, how are you going to interact with AI? Technically, what a university education is supposed to do is to teach you how to adapt as right. your life changes. Right. And I believe, and this is, again, the cynic in me coming out, Mm-hmm. I believe that's intentional that they don't do it because the education system mm-hmm. is still working under the premise that right. the companies are training and mentoring. Right. Because that's how it used to be that we're yes. giving you fundamentals. We're telling yes. you the what's of things. Yes. We're telling you in some cases, the why of things mm-hmm. we may tell you the where of things. Yep. We certainly tell you the how of things, but at some point it's your business you need them to work in your operation. So you yep. should be getting them that last 20%. Yep. And I think the education system has not come to terms with the fact that that's changed, that this side over here is assuming that the college is prepping these folks. Right. And they're being ill-served because we're creating debt yep. off the hinges of these two not being able to come get along. And then what is the net effect? The net effect is nobody wins. Right. This side doesn't get the workers they need. It's always on yep. LinkedIn. The education system, we can graduate people all we care to. They make yep. some money all we care to. But what about the people that wash out and why? Right. Right. Maybe they picked the wrong program to your point earlier. Right. They might just have chosen the wrong path that wasn't for them because they saw the dollar signs. Right. And nobody's there to help the people understand what is it you really want to do. Right. Let's start there. And I think high school. You, they used to do that. We had counselors that would try to guide yep. you. Yep. But tell me if you disagree. I think what you think you know when you're 18 trying to make that decision is not going to be the right thing. Well, or and the school system that I grew up in, well, the school system now, the, the one that I grew up in, they have changed since. But there's a whole thing of magnet where at five yeah. years old, your parent is deciding for you, you're going STEM or yeah. you're going foreign languages. Yep. And I'm thinking, I didn't know at 17, <laughs> how would a five-year-old, and yeah. then what if, you know, somebody goes through and says, mom, I want to do robotics, but they don't have the math and science right. to be able to do it. So it it's. I was in magnet. I, so I'm, that's why I'm laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you need, <laughs> it almost is going back to the idea of how can we make them well-rounded so that they can adapt to whatever they want or whatever the changing is to be able to do it. Um, the other thing that I can remember at one point, and we're still struggling with right now, is the idea of ethics. Yeah. Universities assume that they got that in high school or got that at home, and then therefore they know not to cheat. Yes, right. there will be penalties, but but the universities are starting to understand they don't. The, the students haven't been taught ethics. Right. <laughs> And so then therefore, yes, they get out of college and they're going out and ethics has never been brought up to anybody. Right. And so it's, it's hitting both ends of the, the spectrum on both sides. Um, yeah. Your book is it. one of the first I've read and I've read a lot of books. Yours is one of the first I've read that actually has sites inside of it. You cite the source of your material. Oh, nice. And that's, that's sad, but it's, it's the truth. There's a lot of books. They do not cite the source of what you know are quotes, known well quotes, they don't right. cite something so basic, right. but it goes to not only just the, not only just the ethical, but also maybe somebody wants to go and research that source further. 
Right. And you don't know. And now we're, and the reason that's happening, I believe, is because we've created a, an assumption. You're just going to go Google it. Right. Okay. But, but if everybody's expected to just Google what they don't know or can't find. Yes. We're losing the core talents, the, the ability of somebody to be able to do the right thing, the correct way. Right. Which means the worker is being, the employer is being mistreated, right? It's not, you're not giving them the best of somebody. Well, and the other thing is just because you Googled it doesn't mean it was true. Correct. So there, I, I have one story in there that is about, um, we talk about the making of the cult of action. And I refer yeah. to Jim Jones and the entire um, Kool-Aid incident and where does drinking the Kool-Aid come from? And I actually had an argument with my editor. She said, I Google it and it says it was from the Jim Jones. And I'm like, no, here is the book. It was prior to that. Yeah. in the 60s with the electric Kool-Aid with the Merry Pranksters. And she said, but Google says, and I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I said, but I need to cite the source and I can't say, well, Google says. We have to cite who was the first to say, drink the Kool-Aid. But it was right. very interesting. To your point, if I had not cited this book, then people, people could know. have Googled and it would have come up that it was the Jim Jones in Guyana. So, And then you lose credibility because then you're potentially yeah. crediting somebody. You're like, what are you talking about? 1977, Kool-Aid's been around almost a century now. What are you talking yes. about? Then you lose credibility as, exactly. as a person who puts out a piece of work yourself. Yep. That's And I, I to the point, I think a lot of students are not taught the importance, that importance I just said. Of that, credibility, yep. Of not just you, but also the the source, the credibility yep. together that we can, I don't want to say debunk, but that's the best word here, debunk yeah. the the belief that's wrong. Your belief is wrong and this is why. Right. And we're trying to help you and educate you. And this is this is a common narrative today, certainly. Yeah. Um, I deal with this myself because one of the things that has come up frequently, and you may have encountered this, is, you know, kids. Kids are forced to be vaccinated when they go to school. Yes, right. this is factually true. We know why it happens. The military yep. is required to be vaccinated. Absolutely. This is factually true. We know why it happens. Right. However, when you became a parent, right. nobody forced you to do anything beyond your will. They, it right. became, you need to make this choice for your health and for your family. And right. we want to educate you as to why this is necessary to keep you uh, safe or whatever. Right. Well, one of the articles I wrote or a, a podcast rather that I released was to try to re reignite the discussion around Ryan white. Okay. And AIDS and the, yep. how we were acting back during the AIDS pandemic. Yes. We were the same fear that we see now was happening yes. back then. We had people marching in the streets to keep people away from other people. Yes. And I was trying to get people to think we're doing it again. We never yes. learned. Ryan Ryan worked hard. Magic Johnson worked hard. So many yes. people worked hard yes. to tell people, let's educate the yes. public and tell them what they need to know and let them make their own decisions. Right. And we got past it. And now we don't even really talk about it, even though it's still an illness that harms people. Yes. Because we've, we're smarter. We're more educated around it. Right. Now we have like things like the fentanyl crisis. That's, yeah. I think fentanyl is the most dangerous thing right now to me mm -hmm. because when I saw Prince die and I was really hurt by that one, right. it's like this, this needs attention. Why aren't we talking about this? Right. That you can lace this in an aspirin and kill somebody with an unknown amount. 
Yes. And you now, and there's hardly any chatter about it. Right. The chatter instead is I, I was having a, I don't want to say argument, let's say spirited conversation. Yeah. With somebody who was concerned because of British Airways. Right. Who said they're going to, we're not going to make masks mandatory. It's optional. You could choose to right. do it. And she's freaking out because her kids are apparently not allowed to get vaccinated. And I said, right. okay, there's, because of the way the droplets travel and everything else, you can sit in the back of the plane or choose a different plane to your point. Choice. Right. It's all choice. Right. And she didn't, she was not hearing me at all. And then it right. went to the military is required and children, you know, you're required to get all these and da, da, da. And we, we went away from the desire to embrace option and choice and self-empowerment and self-control and being a parent and being yep. a, a custodian. Maybe you have somebody who's elderly and making decisions for your own yep. path forward to the point of, do I go to this college program or do I not? And now people right. feel like they're required to go to college. Yep. Do I work in and, and just kind of churn myself because I'm expected to work harder right. and harder. It's not a choice to how much you work. Yep. Um, as a STEM career, you're a salaried employee, so you don't even have a choice of hours you can work. It's like right. the law says you're supposed to get paid regardless, but they still expect you to fill out eight hours on the timesheet and you're required to do it. Everything is like an obligation. It's a requirement. Yes. Yep. And then it ties to the, the stress and the urgency and the pressure. Yeah. And I, I struggle with it because I know what it used to be and I know why yeah. it used to be that way. And it felt like we went the wrong way and I blame social media for some of it, but at some point, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. At some point, how do we get back to what you refer to in the book? How do we get back to oh. control, control of one's self, control of one's, you know, area, dynamic personality, being yourself, like, cause we're creating mm -hmm. our, a persona to fit somebody else's expectation. Yes. How do we get back to creating ourselves and self-sufficiency and Second part of the question is mm -hmm. knowing that certain of our governments and I'll say worldwide, because we are worldwide, certain of our governments, they've kind of made it worse. They've kind of, they've kind of negotiated people to think that the way that we've crunched things into a requirement is right. the right answer. What, what do you think? And how do we get away from that? How do we get back to some common sense? Well, and it's, it's interesting because I can go twofold with this. The The first thing is, I have a philosophy that if we would all work in our own backyard, the world would be a much better place. You know, if you clean up what you, what you have around you. Um, so there's that classic starting with yourself. And so that's that time of, for me was I had to sit down and really think about what I wanted and then plan based on those steps on, on what I really wanted and figure out where I wanted to go and be gentle with myself on, on small bites it has required letting go of a lot of things because there, there is the, okay, this is what I want to keep because it's important to me. This is what I'm going to let go of because it's just in my way. I either hate it or it's just hindering me from getting to what I want. And then there are the things that could be somewhere in between. I'm trying them out. I'm not really sure. Let's just find out. Right. And so you start making choices. And then for me, I created a structure. If you want to get into to some of the details, I created a structure that allowed me to regularly do that. So there is a daily time that I spend every day checking in with myself, particularly checking in with my gut, what's running through my head, what is nagging at me. And I address those 
Because if I sit there and let it do this day and day and day and day and day, my nerves are going to be shaking and then I'm going to explode at somebody. You know, there's all of this that, that builds up. So I'm, I'm really putting self-care as an important thing so that I can be better in the world. Right. That is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it, and this one I have not um, bridged over to in a way, or maybe I have or haven't, but I've been supporting another author with the, the publisher that I was with, and she is talking about how women are leaving big law. Mm-hmm. And it's been very interesting to see how she is addressing, like what you're saying is how do we get back? And, and a lot of what she's talking about are systemic issues. And that, yes, the individual can deal with the individual, but what people are having to do is just literally leave. So, you know, the great resignation, and it's not just big law. So there's a way of saying we could all just take care of ourselves and leave, which is kind of the way I've done things. But she is fighting then saying, let's have a conversation about changing the system. And she's looking at big law saying, do you really want to lose all of these people? Right. And if you don't, then we need to have a conversation about what is better. And so that's the way she's been going is talking about it. Now, the engineer in me is like, okay, well, we can talk ourselves to death, (laughs) but what are we going to actually do? And I have talked to her about the idea of, well, maybe she starts a law firm and creates a little incubator lab Mm. because it is one thing to talk about something. It's another thing to do it. And even with myself, that is one thing I can sit around and I can reflect and I can dream. But it's a whole nother thing for me to actually take steps to move forward into doing whatever it is and keep my peace and spend time listening to my gut. Did this work? Did this not work? Do I want to continue doing this? It's very slow. And that is also something that shift in mindset is that it it's going to require a little bit longer. There's a, there was a beautiful metaphor that, that somebody um, gave me at one point the idea of if you were planting a vineyard and you wanted to have wine, you would plant your grapevines. It would be three years before you would see grapes. Mm-hmm. It'll be seven years before you have wine I mean, or abundance in wine. That three right. years with those first grapes. So it, this idea, and this might be part of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurship stuff, we're under the assumption that if you haven't mastered something or become a sensation in two years, there's something wrong. Yep. And that might be the social media thing, but you'll talk to anybody who's made it. They'll go, yeah, I was an overnight sensation for the last 10 years. You know, it, it took them however long to build it. And so being able to say it's going to take time, you know, however long, if it's, if you, you know, you were referring to wars earlier, if it was world war two, that got us into this industrial age that we're pushing and become machines well, that's 60, 70 years that yeah. it took to get to this point. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a light switch to get out of it. And it's a journey um, that we have to dedicate ourselves to every single day. Yeah, It's a choice oh. every day to wake up and say, this is what I'm going to do. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with you. All right. Well, we're almost at time. So okay. now what I'd like to do, if you'll again regale me, sure. um, close us out, take us home. Share any information now that you'd like to share with the listeners. Anything sure. you'd like to share, the floor is yours. Sure. So, uh, yes, you're welcome to reach out to me. This is my first book, and, and it, the intent of it was a conversation. Um, you can find me at my website, jenniferpv.com, 
or my social media handle is at jennifer.theblacklab. Um, and certainly Jennifer PV is an easy way to get a hold of me on LinkedIn since that's most of your following is in that space. But um, feel free to reach out. I'd love to have a discussion uh, with people on the topic. And I love this today. This has been fabulous. Awesome. I will also have everything in the show notes. And when I distribute through LinkedIn, I'll make sure I share all the various social media outlets as well as the book, Natural Reflectors. I do want people to take a look at it. It's very fascinating. And I think my gut tells me that the majority of those listening will resonate with what's there if we stop. And as I used to say when I was a kid, stare at a white wall and just kind of process and think around the information. There's a lot of resonance there. And I I appreciate that you wrote it. It looks like it's very popular. Thank Uh, you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thank you. And I guess one last thing is I will be releasing the audio book for, so somebody who likes podcasts nice. and would rather listen than, um, than read. I've uploaded all the files. The hope is it will be by Sunday. Cause I'd love to release it with the spring equinox. Cause I released the paperback and ebook with the fall equinox. Um, but so hopefully when this comes out, it will be out there. Okay. Awesome. Jennifer, Terrific. thank you. It's thank been you, an man. absolute pleasure. Yes. I have pleasure enjoyed it as well for me. Um, cause you, you did verify there's definite overlap uh, mm-hmm. in our journey and story. And yeah. you're definitely, um, you're one of the, you're one of the top tier, um, that I've spoken to because you Thank have you. a, you have an insight that is beyond the the now you're, Thank you're you. beyond the now. Like a lot of people are just in the now. Um, pretty much every guest has echoed the fact that society today where we're anti-phone, we're all about text messages. We don't really want to have voice to voice contact. Yeah. We, we don't really do like with friends, we lose uh, contact with friends and it's different. And because we've lost that personal connection, yes, we're not able to resonate like we used to. Right. Um, and it makes it harder. So any opportunity I get as well to do this kind of communication, I always look forward to because it is a rare mm-hmm. pleasure. Yes. Thank you. And that all those, all those kind words have, really soothed my soul today. Thank you. Awesome. And again, that was Jennifer Peavy. You can find her on her site at www.jenniferpeavy.com. And she's on social media at jennifer.theblacklab. I will have this in the show notes for those that are interested. And again, I do strongly encourage you to check out her book, Natural Reflectors. I think you're going to find that a lot of what she talks about resonates very strongly when you think about how people create their own stresses and how they create their own, you know, lack of health because they're pushing themselves when they don't really need to and causing unnecessary burnout and ways that you can take control of your life and kind of get things back on track. And those listening to the show, we've been there. We've been through those periods of life where we've done that. And so hopefully we've kind of slowed life down a little bit, at least a little bit. And try to realize that you don't have to create undue pressure on yourself. You just have to think about how to adapt to what's in front of you. And that's the skill we want to try to master and perfect. And that takes time. We have to, we don't get it when we're young. We get it when we get a little bit older and we realize we didn't need to burn ourselves as much as we did when we were younger. So I think it's a very thought provoking book and I think it's worth your time to check it out. I strongly recommend it. And check her out as well. You know, reach out to her. She's always open to having conversations and listening to different ideas and opinions. But definitely check out www.jenniferpv.com as well as her book, Natural Reflectors. That's all I got for you for today's episode of Gentleman's World. Hopefully it's been very informational and educational 
and inspirational. I'm going to be working very hard and diligent on the next steps for what I'm doing in the personal side and creating some hard dates. I did get a couple of the calls that uh, I did want, but I didn't get all of them. And I want to get the rest of them so I can start making some real solid plans, figure out what I'm going to do, and then I can redirect my focus back to the podcast and making it as successful as I want it to be. One last piece I will leave you with more just to inform you so that you're always in the loop. We open up all the time for comments, questions, suggestions, feedback. Always. If you have anything that you want to share, we want to hear it. Casualtalkradio.net. There's an area, if you scroll down, where you can submit uh, feedback to us. We always want to hear it. We always want to be hearing from people who listen to the show and things that we can do to make it better for you. Or maybe you just want to share your thoughts and opinions about what you heard so far. Maybe you want to give us kudos. Maybe you want to give us criticism. We're open to all of it. Another feature we're considering doing here in the near future, depending on how this goes and getting more feedback, would be to allow you to leave a voice message. And then we can play that on an episode of the show to inspire other people and increase our growth for additional subscribers. If you have interest in helping other people, please do share to them. Casualtalkradio.net. Allow them to experience what you've experienced and help us grow. The more we grow, the more quality content we can deliver to you and the more guests that we can entice to come on and chat and give us great stories like the one you just heard. I want everybody to take care. I will be back on Wednesday. And again, Wednesday will be just me. Thursday will be the recording with our next guest is when it's scheduled. And if that one goes through, that one will air on the following Monday. So I assure you that Wednesday is going to have another interesting story from my neck of the woods because I have something I definitely want to bring to attention. Just be patient with the guest cadence as I am very picky with the guests. So there won't always be guests because sometimes the screening doesn't go the way we want. It's so I can give you quality. And hopefully you've resonated that every guest that we've had so far has been, I think, top-notch, 10 stars. And that's what I want. I want the best. I don't want just anybody. I want the best because you deserve the best. Thank you, and I will check in with you guys on Wednesday.